Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken here, joined by David Hartrick as usual. How are you doing, Dave? Very, very good. We're recording early morning, so I'm particularly sprightly. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, we'll we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Um, if we just try and keep the energy up, Dave, I'm sure we'll be fine. Um, and to cheer us up, we've got two defeats to talk about for Huddersfield Town. Um, so this time last week we were well, we were in bed, but this time last week we were sitting here talking about back-to-back victories um and now we're here talking about back-to-back defeats is this a disaster of epic proportions is Huddersfield Town's season over is football coming to an end yes relegation certainties no I I we spoke a little bit though about how there were one or two things that were happening that were unsustainable and I do think a little bit of that has um has just come into play to be perfectly honest with you what kind of thing are you talking about there I I think, I mean, we're going to talk about the games individually and we'll go through various bits and bobs, but I think that, I, I think because Carlos managed to get a couple of really, really good results, that it maybe uh, tricked a few people into thinking that some of the issues that Town have had historically aren't still there, and they are still there, they just do everything a bit quicker. Um, so they still have problems with creation. They're still nowhere near clinical enough from anyone taking a shot. Um, they're still clustering over on one side of the pitch instead of using the full width of the pitch. The midfield's still struggling to take hold of a game. Um, so yeah, it, it's like this is a process and we know we're still at the start of it. Um, but it, it does sort of bring it home that yeah, there are some sort of quite ingrained problems in that squad that just a simple change of manager doesn't just sort overnight. It's gonna be you know, it could quite comfortably be another fifteen or twenty games before we've really got some of this stuff ironed out. And I'd even go so far as to say that now that we're into sort of this this in the middle of this massive run of games in such a short period mm. of time and Corbrand to be fair spoke repeatedly before we got into this run saying how difficult it was going to be but I think when you've got so many games in quick succession not only is it harder for Corbran and his coaches to to correct things that that he might see from game to game which we saw before you know before the break when they were playing Saturday to Saturday they'd do a certain thing in one game and then the next game you you know we'd have this a criticism of them and the next game we wouldn't see it or we'd see less of it but this run at the moment we're seeing things that are wrong and then they're still there the next game and I think that's a combination of there's less time on the training pitch but also when you've got players who are you know tired bodies tired minds you you do automatically go back to to what's ingrained as habit yeah don't you yeah 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 so yeah I, I just I think that the everything is still like on a positive everybody's everything's still going on the right path but the it's not that the squad is like massively short and there are players in there who are just desperately not good enough it's more a case of a, you summed it up perfectly really we're coming into a time with Huddersfield Town have got a man in charge who's never been a manager before of a, a side in the championship and he's going to just have to cope with what a bear pit it becomes in these little runs where it is just absolutely relentless and it's why like I've spoke before on this pod that I'm not one who goes all you know most unpredictable league in the world and all that sort of thing I think any league when you look at it these results happen but it's why in the championship you do get this sort of cluster of basically 18 clubs that can beat each other at any single point and you usually have a couple couple cut adrift at the bottom and a couple cut adrift at the top but that midsection like I say it's a bear pit you know anybody can beat anybody and 
town are going to be in in there. Um, and yeah, it it's but there's these are things are curable as well. I I think we're both of the opinion, Steve, that they are it's stuff that requires surgery. It's not they're not fatal fatal errors. I don't think. No, should we go through the game specifically then? Because yeah. we had uh, Preston first of all, a uh, two-one defeat, and Town actually were in the lead in that game after after eight minutes and and looking good after Fraser Campbell put them ahead. But Preston were allowed back into the game a little bit too easily, weren't they? Yeah, I I said to you at halftime, Town really need to push back against Preston here because they were Town were brilliant first 15 20 minutes they had mm. their foot on Preston's throat and they got the goal they were really really good um and then they just started retreating they started sitting deeper and deeper and uh, like Town at one point were playing like they were 3-0 up and it was it was just it was frustrating to see and I think you could see that the bench was getting frustrated with that as well um and they were they went back at one point to literally telling people where to stand and where to run and where to go and i they they could see the problems but what i was quite surprised about was they came out after half time and um corbin hadn't really been able to change it mm. they they came out and immediately i'm not the the sort of 6 minutes before the goal they were exactly the same they they hadn't managed to sort of influence or change it at all which i thought was a bit a bit odd, but again, you know, you've got to give Corbin respect, really, because a lot of these situations are the first time he's had to deal with them um, on various levels. So, yeah, um, but that that first goal when it went in, there was a real, there was a horrible sense of inevitability about it that I've not felt for a few games. I've I've not seen Town play a side and sat there thinking, yeah, there's an equaliser coming here, like I did against Preston. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. They they just sort of started dropping deeper and deeper. And to be fair, you know, we talk about them not changing it at half time, but that is the first first time that we'd actually seen Town come out after the break and not look sort of much better than they had been. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because yeah. that generally had been a you know that had been a trend that we commented on, which was they generally they'd started games well, sort of the first sort of ten or fifteen, and then tailed off and off and off, and then come back roaring after the after the second half and and ended up winning because of it, you know Swansea in particular, but but other games as well. So, the the Preston game sort of booked the trend in that regard. But yeah, I mean, I've said this a million times, but I th- I think it was a bit unfortunate for Town that they. They ended up conceding two so quickly um, mm. in in quick succession, and we you know we have to acknowledge there was a, a Ben Hamer error for the for the second goal because we've you know we've spoken in praise of him a lot, and um, I think that's the first sort of major blunder we've seen out of him that's that's led to a goal, unless I'm I'm forgetting one. So, um, but we do need to sort of acknowledge that, and it's it's whether he makes more now. You know, it's um, I, I don't think he was. We'll get onto Birmingham in a bit. I don't think he was particularly at, at fault for any either of Birmingham's goals at all, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, I think that it was unfortunate that they conceded two in quick succession because it would have been good to see what Corbran would have done at, at one all um, yeah. and, and whether that might have, you know, they might have taken the chance then to make a couple of... Because they changed shape shortly but, after Preston went ahead. They, you yeah. know, they changed shape altogether. It's whether Corbran might have done that at one all and whether that would have made a difference. Yeah, that was the thing. And I think they needed that... That change of shape helped, um, but it it was really crying out for something quite radical. It was really crying mm-hmm. out for to to go right. We've seen this now for for thirty five minutes of this game. We've got to we've got to change it. And it was unfortunate that it took the goal to do it really. And then the second goal, I think, yeah, I mean Hamer comes for the ball and he doesn't claim it, but he's only got eyes for the ball. And I think he does give Sarah a shout, you know. I think if you if you watch it, but I've watched it back a couple of times to see if there's a shout there, and I think he does give the Sar a shout. And the fact that Sar just stands there, sort of under the ball, I don't think really helps him. No, not at so. All. I think I think it looks it it looks a really bad mistake from Hamer when really I would put sort of maybe thirty percent of the blame onto his defender there as well, who who's not stitched him up but not helped him at all. And then it should be said, it was a terrific finish. Yeah, brilliant finish. Really, really good. Like, properly improvised 
you know, to perfection, really. There's only From one a... finish he can do there that puts it in the net, and he does it. Yeah, yeah. But then Town rallied, and they 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 were good. We'll talk about them being not being clinical enough in a in a little separate bit. But they rallied, and they were good. But there was lots of again, there was there was lots of sort of pressure and running and speed, but without really sort of turning that into guilt edge chances, and then. You know, Pippa hit the post at the end, but then they immediately go up the other end, Preston, because the game is so spread and hit the bar themselves. Mm. It was, it was a funny game because I, I saw a lot of people saying how ridiculous it was that um, Town had lost and they deserved to win that game. And I just that's the first game I've come away from thinking probably Town got what they deserved there, if I'm brutally honest. For sitting back and retreating and, and letting Preston into that game and then rallying, let's be honest, far too late. They were brilliant mm. in the last 10 minutes. Brilliant. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're 2-1 down and that's what they they needed to come hairing out the traps like that after half-time, in my humble opinion. Yeah, and and down to 10 men as well, it's worth saying. Um, mm. I, I don't think I don't think anyone had any complaints about the red card, even Nabi Sarr, I don't think particularly protesting no, about I, it. That's very much in the seeing them given territory, isn't it? In yeah. that if that's if that's a defender against your side, you're desperate for him to get a red for that, aren't you? Yeah. I thought it was a touch us just because of the position on the pitch. I don't think it was absolutely nailed on that the lad would have been able to cut inside and score from there. But I, the thing is about like going off on a slight tangent going down to 10 men I don't think is a massive disadvantage in football anymore because if you look at nearly every training drill on match situations they always tend to do them 10 versus 11 where they're training the 10 and it's it's about you know like creating spark creating space and running intelligently and how do you get around that so they'll be very very used to that match situation and I thought they were really good when they went down to ten, but like I said, it was just it was it was too late at that point. Too late at that point. And the other thing I wanted to say was I've I saw a lot of we don't swear on this podcast, but there was an awful lot of Preston that just s housed their way through the game, etc. I, I I thought Town were actually quite clever. I thought Town gave gave pretty much as good as they got. Really, there was. Yeah. A little bit of tactical fouling throughout from town, which I thought was actually quite good to see in a way because it shows a different level of game intelligence, a different level of game management. Um, and I thought there were there were a couple of tackles from both that there was the the tackle on Karoma um, from was it Potts that I thought was mm. I, personally yeah, I thought it was certainly certainly orange card territory, put it like that. Uh, yeah. But then I thought. Go on. I, well, on that, I th- I thought that when I first saw it at full speed live in the stadium, I thought it was a red card. Um, yeah. And then sort of every replay, it sort of took took a bit of the sting out of it every time I saw yeah. it again, kind of. Thing. I I, just, I think orange card. But then I thought Karoma's tackle wasn't great. No. You know, he he came in from a long way out and he hit the hit the lad right on the ankle. And I think it was only the fact that it was an incredibly wet day and that his other foot was still just about on the floor that saved him there so i i thought i thought town gave as good as they got and i don't mean that at all in a bad way i think that was quite nice to see that they i don't think they particularly were bullied if i'm honest i i thought they stood up to it pretty well and gave as good as they got yeah that's fair enough um and and i you know i'm i'm not going to lie i've said that they that it was uh it was a case of them getting bullied by a team that had bullied them last season but i think Perhaps in in hindsight, that that wasn't quite the case. To be honest, I think, I think it was more sort of tactical. Well, not even tactical, but just the execution, the fact that they kept dropping so deep um, mm. in that first half and 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 into the second was was really what did for them uh, in the end. Mm. But there you go. I think they were they Preston still had that little bit more sort of game experience and and that sort of little bit of nous. But I think my my point is it was good to see that town weren't just run over. Yeah, yeah. You know they they stood up to it and they went and they gave a bit back and that's that's good. It's also a sign of a confident team. You know because yeah. they're not retreating into their shells. It's just a shame they sort of physically retreated on the pitch and gave seeded two thirds of it to Preston for half an hour because that's what cost them. And that is something you talk about, sort of, you know, looking at the signs from the games that they won. That was something they did against Swansea as well. Mm. Um, and they were 
quite fortunate that they they scored completely against the run of play because that that was what was happening in sort of the first sort of 25 minutes against Swansea before Town scored was they kept dropping back and back and back and it was I think I've you know I can't remember if I said on the podcast before but at a certain point of that game sort of 15-20 minutes in at Swansea I was thinking oh this is going to be Brentford all over again and then Town suddenly scored with sort of their first shot yeah. and it was like oh okay um, and it completely changed the game and you know we talked about the the fact that they rode their luck uh, in, a, in a couple of games and Maybe Preston was one where that that little bit of luck didn't go for them. But at the same time, you know, the same way that that after Swansea, you'd say, well, they rode their luck, but I wouldn't say they didn't deserve to win. They didn't fluke it. Um, I would say, you know, they were a bit unlucky against Preston, but I can't say they didn't deserve to lose. Um, Mm, And and doubly so, I think, um, against Birmingham. Um, What what were your thoughts on that game? Well, I think it's worth talking about the sort of phrase deserve to win because uh, I think we're coming at this from different points of view <laughs> if I'm honest because what I see is a team that had what was it 70, 77% possession mm-hmm. and they were really on the front foot and they were going at Birmingham and yet Birmingham had 23% possession and had more shots than town and two more on target so the the thing about deserving to win for me is not just about you know who's on the ball the most or no, absolutely who's pushing it. I, I thought it was a slightly again it's that worry about that toothlessness because yeah. you, you can't you can't have that amount of possession in a game longer term and as I said seed more shots to the opposition and the opposition have more shots on target. No, this, just... this is what I mean. Sorry, I don't know if you've misinterpreted. Yeah, I, I think they totally deserve to lose against Birmingham. Um, mm. And, you know, I wouldn't make an argument that they did deserve to win for exactly those reasons. It's To me, it's about quality chances. And, yeah. you know, you don't expect to take all of your quality chances, but you expect to <laughs> at least... Um, you know you need to at least create them and there are games we've all seen them where you create five amazing chances and you know your striker it's the bar twice and then your winger misses a sitter and you know we've all seen those games Birmingham wasn't that and as you say Birmingham ended up having more shots and more chances than than Town did despite the fact that they sat back and absorbed all the pressure pretty much all game I think there's a, I think there's an argument with the Birmingham performance that I think for Birmingham it was a real um, manager's performance from them because Karanka is a, like a massively safety first manager. He always has been. He's very much cut from the Mourinho cloth of we might not win but we're certainly not going to lose. And what they did was they played as... It's again. It's a compliment to town that teams are doing their homework on them this, to the, to that degree. But what Birmingham did is go right. Okay, well we're going to play this like the away side. We're going to give town lots of the ball because we don't think they can create enough. And ultimately, the goal that town did get, which we'll come to, was from a set piece. Mm. So they didn't create anything from open play. And we're going to pick them off, and we're going to trust you know our strikers Hogan and Jukovic. To, to be clinical enough to put away what we do create and such was the such was the case really um and it was yeah i it, it was all a bit frustrating all a bit frustrating if i'm honest to watch it was it felt a bit too familiar yeah i would agree with that and and you know it's as you say karenka's whole thing is if we don't make any mistakes then they're not going to score and if we happen to get one then we'll win like it's it's a very simple philosophy at its core um yeah and you know we've seen town play that way a bit last year um pretty much the polar opposite of how Carlos Corbrand sets up his side but you know you can't knock it when when you know you've seen how effective it can be and I'd correct has won promotion out of the championship playing that way with Middlesbrough before so he knows what he's doing with it and yeah it was as you say really frustrating just to see the whole sort of reason that they've brought in Carlos Corbran and they made that change from the Cowleys to Corbran was for games like this I think basically so that they have that mm, that's, yeah. that style of play and so that they're able to break down teams that are just going to sit in and get a, mm. get get town playing in such a way that they're going to create chances and put the opposition under the cosh and I think probably this was this and the Rotherham game were kind of extreme examples of it um, in that mm. the, the opposition sort of played with not not to when I say little ambition, I don't mean they didn't want to win the game, but I just not much adventure, put it that way. Um, 
I think that is going to be especially difficult for town. And although that is why Corbran was appointed, it's probably going to be the last thing that comes because they they need to they need to show that they're creating those chances in games in more open games against more open oppositions. And we've seen it a bit, and we've seen it in fits and starts, but we've not seen it sort of consistently throughout the season. And I think they're mm. making steps towards it, generally speaking. Um, but it. Yeah, it, it it wasn't great on on Wednesday night. Um, I don't think it was. I think probably because it's back to back defeats uh, and because of the nature of the late, you know, the the late goal. Uh, I think the fans have been a little bit more down on it than than I think perhaps it it deserved. Um, I think if you, I think if you put that defeat sort of I said this on the preview show as well so apologies for anyone who's going to watch that but I think if you put these results in a different order I don't think you know when you spread out the wins with the losses I don't think anyone goes quite as overboard in on Mm. the Birmingham game as they have done but at the same time I'm not (laughs) I'm not saying that to suggest it was a good performance by any stretch of the imagination because I don't think it was no I I think that there's always, there's going to be an issue with this squad, however you look at it, as it is right at this moment, in that they, the chances they've got, they create, they have to take because they just don't create enough. I hate to use a statistical phrase, but they don't create enough sort of high value chances. Mm-hmm. So, a, a lot of the goals we've seen Town score are what you would class as sort of quite low XG goals, which is why it was good to see O'Brien's through ball, Campbell, I know he was slipping, it was a great finish actually against Preston, but it was great to see that goal because they're, they're the goals that historically Town don't score enough of. They, they're they the sort of, like, I don't know, it's a, it's a stupid phrase, but they're your bread and butter, yeah. basically. Midfield, they're putting uh, the striker one-on-one with the keeper. Like Yeah, yeah. and that's... That's what it sounds stupid, but that's the area that town needs to improve in. That's that's what they've got to work on, and I think the the Birmingham game just I I can understand a few people going a bit over the top because the Birmingham game was sort of eerily reminiscent of several other yeah. games that yeah. we've seen over the last two years, arguably two and three quarter years, um, but that's a different discussion. Yeah, it was, so, a, it was a Wigan and Luton, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it like, I think there are positives to take from it, that they are mainly based around Isaac and Benza coming on and scoring a really, really good three kick, um, but there are also sort of just, uh, there's an awful lot of, oh yeah, that's still a big issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to come out of that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think where Corbran is is happy um is the fact that the town have kept going in games there hasn't we haven't yet yeah. seen a game where town have, have gone behind and then just given up which and then surrendered yeah which to be honest like i'm not saying given up in the sense of like everyone's just gone oh do you know what i can't be bothered anymore but there were times last year where they went behind and you could tell that they just didn't believe that they were that they were yeah. gonna win um it was uh <laughs> if anyone watches great british bake off um <laughs> The blonde woman who thought she was going out this week and had a bit of a meltdown, and you could and you could say see after like the second bake, it was like, oh, she's given up. She thinks she's going this week, and she's just sort of stopped. Uh, and it was like that's what that that's what a seal town last season kind of thing. We've not good analogy. We've um we've not seen that from town this year. You know, Corbrand's teams have have kept going, um, and he'll be delighted with that because. You know that's that's all you can ask for, to be honest. Like particularly in this sort of run of games where he's not got a huge amount of time on the training pitch, and you can particularly sort of this stage of his tenure as a coach, you can not accept but but expect um, that the tactical stuff they're not going to be up to a hundred percent yet, and you you expect with this team and. Uh, and this squad that there's going to be technical errors as well um but mm. but what he can't accept at any moment is any sense of sort of giving up or letting heads drop or letting the effort drop and to be fair i don't think they've 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 done that but nah. uh but there are still sort of major tactical and um positional in particular Corbran highlighted after the game and one of them was one that 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 
I highlighted in the conclusions on after the Preston game, which was they kept sort of clustering. Um, if you look at the heat map, they they mm. ended up every, so many players so close together on the left hand side, um, and all the play was sort of going up there, and everyone was almost getting in each other's way, and that's an issue that goes back to last season. That's not a new thing. Um, yeah. And you had Pippa out on the right, completely isolated, and they you know it's it's not a coincidence that the best chances they had late on not just him hitting the post but i think probably an even better chance and a really really good save by declan rudd um was one he had a couple of minutes before that where he went through and and sort of tried to get it to the far bottom corner and it's no coincidence that those chances fell to pippa because everything was on the left and if they found that switch of play which they did in the end for pippa he was in basically so it was then really frustrating to see that uh, against Birmingham. And I looked at the heat map at half time, and it was basically just like everything up the left hand side. Yeah. It was all the way up to the corner flag um, for town uh, they, and nothing on the right at all. They really trust Toff, don't they? That's the problem. And Toff mm. is such a willing runner. And so uh, Toff is one of those players who just wants to be involved in everything. If he, if he wasn't a wing back, he'd be a central midfielder, wouldn't he? Because he, yeah, he just wants to be on the ball. He just wants to be linked with everything, which is great. But you're right. They just so... The problem is it makes their right-sided players, it isolates them, which can be good in some regards in that you can get opportunities from that. But it can also be very bad in other regards because it gives like the opposition a natural area to target because they know there's going to be less bodies there. And it also it can really isolate your right winger because when you have whoever is playing on the right of a front three or whatever system he's setting up, when you've got people who basically is doing what Toff did under the Cowleys, which is taking a whole flank to himself because Grant was coming inside, it can make that winger look pretty redundant pretty quickly. And I think there was a bit of that with Dear Carby on against Birmingham and I don't think Dear Carby did anything particularly right in the game, but you can mount a defence based on that, can't you, Steve? Yeah, I, I just think it's everyone is the, the player rating that he got was two point six, which would have been which is the second lowest player rating that's been given since the start of last season, and mm-hmm. I don't think it was a good performance at all from Dear Carby. Um, so let's and I, and I don't think, to be honest, that he's a particularly good player and and has never been a particularly good player at this level not for town and not for nottingham forest he had moments last season to be fair to him um and there are a few moves he was involved in he, he had a particular there's a spell where he had a particularly promising partnership with bakuna um funnily enough who is another player that I'm, we might talk about <laughs> but um but i i also don't think that dear Kirby was anywhere near sort of bottom 10 performances from the last 12 months against um against Birmingham and I know that he had a shot that went out for for a uh, throw in and you know I as you say I don't think he did anything particularly right but I don't but I also don't think that when you've got a team that is clustering up the left wing and creating problems for themselves by becoming so predictable by just playing up on one side on the opposite side of the pitch that you can look at that and go, well, that defeat was the right winger's fault. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, Corbran unprompted after the game, well, I said, what do you think of the criticism of Dia Carby? And he, he talked about this issue of them getting stuck on the left. And, and he, he did say, you know, we, we needed the, that switch of play. We needed to get it across mm. from, from left to right. And we just never played that ball, um, which was really disappointing to be honest and I think they probably missed Sarah a little bit in that respect because the obvious thing is if you're going up the left and then sort of you find yourself cut off, cut off you go back and mm. um, and I think Saar in, if he had been on the pitch would have been in that position sort of just on the edge of the, the final third and could have taken the ball and looked up and seen Saar and Pip, uh, Dear Carby and Pippa and just fired it across mm. whereas with, with Stamen and Schindler you, you're not going to get that respectfully so um, but I think that yeah. in practical terms as well though if you're if you're I've seen enough of Dear Carby at this point to know that it, Dear Carby wants to play A, looking towards the opposition goal and B, he wants to be have a two-yard basically he wants the defender to, to square them up have a two-yard start on them and get that ball in behind so that he can run onto them and 
towns just don't do that. And the opportunities they do get to do that, it's people who takes them anyway. So he mm. becomes, it's very difficult. You're asking him, you're continually asking him to do a job he's not, his natural skill set isn't comfortable with anyway. And when he's constantly got people on the overlap, or basically, in another sense, standing where he should stand, he... <sighs> I don't want to say, if I say he hasn't got the the intelligence, people think I'm saying he's thick. It's the football intelligence. It's the sort of experience that comes after playing 150 games where you go and take up another position on the pitch or you, you realise you can do something else that affects the play or just drop off a little bit. And the thing is, this season, we've both praised him a couple of times, Steve, for looking slightly better and doing a more defensive job and, do you know, being a mm. little bit more controlled. And I think at Birmingham, he was tasked with more of an attacking job because of the nature of how Birmingham played, which was not with a lot of adventure, if we're brutally honest. And there's just no denying he fluffed his lines a bit again, but... <sighs> A 2 out of 10 performance... I mean, a 2 out of 10 for me is, like, literally nothing right yeah. whatsoever. And I don't. I think that's harsh. I mean, I'm not saying I would have given him much more than a 4, if I'm brutally honest. But at least that's double what he got. <laughs> yeah, and that and yeah, that was exactly my point. And especially as well, when, when there was a player on the pitch for, in the first half who <laughs> was, was putting in that sort of that sort of diabolical performance to be honest in Janinio Bakuna who again I don't think it was two out your of, mate yeah your I don't think it was two out of ten level but I think it was I gave him a four and I was I had half a mind to give him a three to be perfectly honest he was it was right that he was taken off at, at half time and I, I don't know I I almost feel like talking about Janinio Bakuna at this point there's <laughs> there's almost no point in in doing it because we've we've said everything we can possibly say about him we know what his problems are and we know that that yeah. when he has a bad game it's going to it's going to look like this um and i can only imagine that that it's the fitness issues and the fact that that Corbrand's had to balance midfield because he's had Lewis O'Brien has been coming back from an injury Jonathan Hogg has in this run of not towards the end of the the run of games i think it was the the rotherham game he played um despite having just come back from an injury so he's had issues of his own um mm. alex pritchard he said has had has had issues uh, hence why he didn't play the previous three games before birmingham uh, despite being on the bench so he's had and Carol Lighting is is a player who he needs to manage the minutes and I think if you didn't have all of those things at once I don't think there's any way Janino Bakuna would have started every game this season no the the goal the first goal against Preston was really that sums up Bakuna's season so far not reacting quick enough to that ball coming back out and then being out challenged by a striker for a ball just outside his own 6 yard area when he's got defenders like Stearman, etc., just let's be honest, giving absolutely everything, and in that position, would uh, there's no way when they've got a head start, they're letting a striker get there. And we have spoke about him, and we have said a lot, and we, but I do think it's coming to a head. I mean, getting hooked at half time is not a great look for anyone. No, and it's the it's coming back to that phrase I've used before. It's permanently the game happens to him. Everything just he just sort of ambles that he can have whole fifteen twenty minute spells in games where he's just ambling in the same twenty yards, Steve. And we've we've seen it, and it drives us both mad. And it should be said the reason it drives us both mad is because this lad has all the talent in the world. Yeah. He can do anything you want with a football. He he, some of the passes he can pick are. There's nobody else in that squad, and I include Iting, who can pick those passes. Yeah, he could be, and he arguably should be Town's difference maker. He he should be the the their standout performer. Yeah, you see that pass that he made for the goal against uh, Derby, and it's yeah. it's a brilliant pass. It's a really really good mm. pass. So yeah, and it just it, it's that he, he he's had what four managers now, and he's never really changed. He's never really mm. changed. He's never. He, sometimes he plays a bit above the level he is now. Sometimes he plays a bit below the level he is now. But he's never really put together a, 
a 10 to 15 game run where in eight or nine of those games he's he's been a massive influence the closest we've got is that mini run under the cowleys which was when let's be honest which was when he had the hump because he'd been dropped he'd been dropped to the bench so he was coming on with a point to prove permanently does really really well and then when he gets his run in the side just reverts back to reverts back to type so he's just an incredibly frustrating player because he should be like he should be a 20 25 million pound midfielder that everybody's talking about that we've just said how lucky town are to keep him and at the moment he's just nowhere near yeah it's I, I came to the odd conclusion as well when I was putting together the conclusions that the player that they ideally would have brought on for Bakuna would have been <laughs> Bakuna. Mm, um, yeah, I get that, yeah. Because, um, yeah, he, I just feel like that's his best role at the moment is is exactly, as you said, what he was doing last year where he's a hungry player. He wants to come on in the second half. And when you're chasing a game and want, yeah. and want someone to come on and just say, look, don't worry about the defensive side so much. Um, Fraser Campbell will pick that up for you. Just drop in the hole there, do your thing, and and that's been his best performances is when he's been playing in in that role. So it's uh, no, it is incredibly frustrating, and it's it's hard to know what to do with him at, at this stage. But as well, a... that's the problem because he's on his fourth manager. You know, fifth if you want to argue about Hudson. He he never really. All he did was show flashes under under Wagner. And we we both went big, Steve, me on you, on that he'll get into the championship and he'll absolutely boss this division because he's a level above. Because he had some good games and, under Siva in the Premier League. Yeah. All time were terrible. That was like when we were looking for bright spots at the end of that Premier League run. It was actually Bakunas yeah. all right. Then under Siva, things things were not they were not great which we know anyway but he had that QPR game where from about the fifth minute he just looked like a man who wanted a red card Mm. basically then uh, the Cowleys came in and as I said they got the best out of him in a very very short spell and they did that by bombing him out the side because he'd been not great up until that point now we know there may have been circumstances around that Mm. but he's just it's it's like nothing. It's like you light a fire under him, and he he goes hell for leather for one game, and it's like yeah, right, fine, I've done enough now. Yeah, <laughs> and it's Very just so. It is so frustrating because he's such a good player, such yeah. a good player. But I, I think yeah, I mean that first. But you talk about the Preston goal. The first Birmingham goal mm. came from a short corner that he took Aitin put it back to him and then he gave the ball away to the defender he was one of two players who went chasing down the wing after as Birmingham went on the counter attack he committed the foul and then it was his man at the free kick who scored the header so yeah. it was it was oh, backer so it's yeah. yeah it's just a pity and as I say sort of the the other thing I put in the conclusions was just that I don't think we've seen Carlos Corbrand's sort of best side yet and I don't think we've even seen him pick being able to pick his best midfield because as I say I just I refuse to believe that that he thinks his best midfield includes Nino Bakuna after after the sort of the start to the season that he's had and yet he started every game and I can only imagine that that's out of necessity so it's not really an excuse um, but it's I would I would be interested to see if if uh, when he does get his his preferred midfield in whether we see a big difference because you know that they were better in the the second half uh town uh positionally and and basically in every regard i think it's always interesting to see what the neutrals and and the opposition journalists think after the game and the view from the birmingham um my colleagues at birmingham brian dick was that town were really unlucky actually um having got mm. that they thought that they they did really well to to get back into the game and deserve the equalizer and then were unlucky to to concede the late goal um so i mean again that that's a great finish that second goal it's it's mm. like not everybody scores that goal to be fair but you can't put a metric on luck so there's no like you know, there's no XL <laughs> that is your your luck percentage, but it is that thing of what what have town actually created. And when you look back, one of our uh, one of our listeners actually 
did our jobs for us, Steve, and I'm going to mention him by name because it was it was something I wanted to have a look at longer term. I know we're only sort of eight games in, so it is a, a relatively small sample size. I wanted to do it 10 or 12 games in. But Dano Mark 86 has just looked at basically the, the Cowley's first game and Corbin's first game, and obviously they've taken a lot more shots under Cormoran, so they're on 99, whereas they were on 74 under the Cowleys. But again, it's that thing of there was more on target under the Cowleys and there was more goals under the Cowleys. And the the thing that Corbin's got to work on is he's got the energy up, he's got the... There's a much better feeling in that squad, I would argue. You can see there's a level of togetherness and they are much better at planning for an opposition. I think they, they, barring a couple of games this season, it's been good to see Town make adjustments. Mm. Um, you know, aware for, for you can see the level of detail that's going in there. But the simple fact is they're still not creating the amount of chances their possession and all of that other stuff should present them with. And... You can have a go at, I don't know, you can turn around and have a go at your strikers or your wingers or whoever's playing in your front two or your front three for not scoring. But if everything they have to go on is a half chance, then it's incredibly difficult. <laughs> incredibly difficult. And I just I just feel that the last two games might actually serve them quite well because I think it's just brought everybody back a little bit and it's just gone right okay yeah there are still fundamentals and basics that we've got to work on in that squad and the things that I was saying were unsustainable them coming home to roost very early in a season that's no bad thing because it helps Mm. focus mind it gives it will give Corbin he can go in with video evidence for the you know, for the players' meetings, etc., and he can show them exactly where the problems are and what they've got to work on. Whereas, if you keep winning, it's incredibly difficult to sort of persuade a group of players that they're still doing things wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's it's it may not do them it may not do them harm longer term, but what they can't do is like two a two game losing run can't become a four game losing run or a six game losing run because just. They, the Cowleys will tell you what it's like to start from a way back. The fact that Corbin's got the points on the board he has is absolutely brilliant. But like I say, the way this league works, a four-game run either way, and suddenly you feel like you're in trouble. Mm. And I think the last thing Town need to be with this squad and their historic mental issues is be anywhere near trouble because then I do just worry that one or two might revert slightly to type mentally because this is where they've been for so long they need to stay in that mid-table bubble yeah totally and it's exactly the reverse of that big positive we talked about and the fact that everyone's sort of bought into Corbran and I don't think it's you know I don't think it's you go and lose to Millwall on Saturday and suddenly it's a player's revolt at all I think you know that they're going to keep going for him but as you say it's mm. just it's just that that mental side and and that we've, we've talked before about how the fact that they've bought bought into Corbran so much has allowed them to go sort of that extra yard and and how they've been excited to see that the stuff they've been doing on the training pitch is translating um onto the onto the the pitch on a match day and yeah you're right if you if you start losing then it's suddenly it becomes well the stuff we're doing on training isn't translating onto the pitch and it becomes that much harder to sort of keep your levels up when when you feel a bit demotivated like that so yeah it's uh as i say i I think i think there's there's i think probably those those victories they had and that that four game unbeaten run probably people got slightly too carried away because we would you know we were sitting here as i say this time last week and people were talking about playoffs and now we're, mm. we're sitting here going oh no are they are they in relegation form and we're not i mean we're not particularly saying that um we're trying to sort of no, keep it in the middle but 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 that's oh, that's just how that's just how fans are isn't it like back-to-back yeah. wins and it's everything's great and back-to-back wins and everything's dreadful and the truth is it's it's somewhere in between mm. i got the 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 fact I said a couple of things were unsustainable, I got a little bit of grief off a couple of people because I was 
accused of not believing in him, basically. <laughs> but I think the... You're not a fan, uh, it's not your job to believe in anyone. No, yeah. no. But th- this is this is the thing. I, I genuinely think it's probably not a bad thing that they've lost those couple of games because I, I think it actually gives the management team a, a bigger a wider scope to go to talk to the players and to show them that they can't it, it can't just be running in energy Steve that's the problem mm-hmm. that's the problem you've you've got to couple that to things you've worked on and patterns that work and you know like the Preston game it felt it's it's a tr- like massive cliche but they were really, really good in that first 15 minutes. But it felt like they scored too early because if they'd have got that goal, I don't know, five minutes before half time, I just think it would have been a different game. And I think mentally, Town have still got one or two issues from the last couple of seasons um, with a few players who just, it's not even so much just sort of retreating into their shell. It's just more that it, it's, it's that how. When you when you've had something the same thing for so long every week week after week, how do you suddenly tell somebody? Well, that's not going to happen this week. It it doesn't that doesn't happen overnight, and that doesn't mm. just happen because you enjoy yourself in training. It's about seeing the sort of end results on the pitch. And what Town really need is is to get to sort of the twenty fourth game of the season and be safely in mid table and then a lot of those players are gonna go, Oh, do you know what? Actually, yeah, it doesn't have to be like it has been all the time. So it's it's just it's patience, isn't it? That's that's the thing we have to preach. Yeah, exactly. And I think probably towns level at the moment and and sort of a realistic target for them for this season would be sort of four points from every three games um so they, they've you know they've come off that run of of 10 in four and now they've got sort of none in in three but suddenly if they if they are able to beat Millwall um then they're they're back on target again um or close mm. or close to it and I think that's that's. I mean, Corbrand said last week the next game is always harder than than the last one, and they they're coming up on three games now away to Millwall and then home games against uh, Bristol City and Luton, and then we're into the international break. Which, to be fair, I think I think they need that break at, at this stage. Yeah, I think they need coming at a good time. Yeah, I think they need to just come back and get onto the training pitch for a couple of weeks and say, right, these are the these are the mistakes that mm. we've been repeating, um, and let's cut these out now and they should hopefully come back from the break looking a lot better of course every team's going to think that so um, mm. <laughs> we'll see where we get to with it but I think they have to go into this this these three games now and just say right if we get four points out of these games um, then ideally you'd like to have seven but if we get four then then that's reasonably good going given um, the last couple of results and where the players will be physically at this stage of this this punishing run so I, I i think the millwall away is a very very tough game and i think town have got they've not got a great record there i don't think um and i think bristol are a extremely funny side i think it completely depends yeah. what night you you get them on if you get them on a bad night you can do what the cowlers did to them which is is rip them apart to be frank um, and if you the, get them on the a good Luton night, game. they'll rip you apart, as, as yeah, has happened at the uh, Ashton Gate. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Luton game is is a difficult one to call, I think, because Luton are they're a, they're a decent side, but they they they're not brilliant. They offer a lot of running. They offer a lot of hard work. They've got a couple of decent players. But they've got a manager who really works hard and sets them out. They're very much a sort of manager's team, and I think, in a weird sort of way, they're not—they're not a model for town. But I think that's what Phil and everybody down there is hoping town become—a real manager's team where you may not have the eleven best players in the league, but you've got nobody who can outwork you and nobody who can, who wants to win more. To be frank, for their mm. management team. So it's a tough game to call that, and I think the next three games are probably going to tell us quite a bit about where Corbyn is on his management journey as well, how he copes with this this run. I think four points. I'll be honest with you. 
I think four points would be a very good return, Steve. Yeah. No, I would. <laughs> very good return. I think I think a draw at Millwall is a fantastic result, and then uh, yeah. the the Luton one is the one I look at and worry about, particularly coming straight off that Birmingham game because uh, that particularly because that's at home. I would almost rather that game was away, um, as much as I would prefer not to have another long away trip at this stage. Um, Luton are going to play that game like Birmingham did. Exactly. You know? That's exactly why. They, that's exactly why. They're going to give Town all the ball all of the time and just stay really compact, really tight. I should think they'll probably play a four at the back and a DM drop in, so essentially a five. And it's another one of those games where town it's all right knocking on the door, but can you open it? Yeah, <laughs> you know that's that's why I worry. I'm almost worried about that game more than the Bristol game because, uh, and and let's be honest, <laughs> this possible we're sitting here in ten days' time and they've lost four nil to Bristol and and beaten Luton five nil. So I'm probably going to look very but stupid. Bristol... But on paper, I'm looking at that thinking actually that's the kind of open game that that might suit town. Whereas yeah. Luton, it's like, oh, this is going to be tough. It, it, Bristol got a lot of individuals who can hurt you. That's the thing. But they, they're not... You can catch Bristol cold. And I actually... I'm with you. I I think there is a world where this team, with all its energy and its work rate, does catch them cold and catches them cold early. And Bristol never really recover from that because they're a bit of a bellwether side. If they go if they go behind early, they're just... You know, that's, that's them pretty much done for the day. So it, it's the Luton game we'll worry about, and the Mill the Millwall away is it's always a tough fixture, and it's it's a different type of fixture because I think Millwall were going to be everything that people think Preston were, <laughs> if I'm honest, and it's how Town cope with that. And I do hope they do what they did against Preston, give them a little bit back, bully them a little bit back, to be honest. Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us as usual. Where are you on Twitter? Uh, I am at David Hartrick. It's good when you've got to think about your own name, isn't it? <laughs> we, as we say, we are recording very early in the morning. Um, yeah, I'm at Stephen Chicken. And Dave, where can people buy copies of your fabulous books? Uh, at Ockley, which is O-C-K-L-E-Y, books.co.uk. But don't buy any today because we've got Christmas launching next week and there's a load of stuff going on offer and what have you. So if you do go and buy something today, you've only got yourself to blame, in my humble opinion. <laughs> Salesmanship. Magic stuff. <laughs> right. Magic, we'll speak to you soon. Have a good one. See you next time. Goodbye. See there. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs>